0: Get to you, New York, Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 10. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill.
1: I'm Howard Stern. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, nice. I'm, I'm Malcolm Baum. Uh, I'm JT White. And, well, let's fucking get right into it. Today's films, we have... A Prairie Home Companion. A Robert Altman, 2006 film and private parts by betty thomas 1997 film but the real auteur of private parts is howard stern and we'll get to that a little later how you guys doing this week what's up <laughs> you know nothing much man I'm just, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just i'm
1: just real positive right now after watching these two movies about uh radio making and podcast making so it really kind of upped my positivity levels and made me really want to come in here and
2: kill it Yeah, I'm honestly juiced on radio now. Like there was, I don't think I have ever sided more with a character than when (laughs) Howard Stern like fucking storms like to the office to be like, "Why the fuck did you stop my bit?"
1: Damn, it's he's truly a hero. That's what I I was, I was truly inspired by him to you know do what I need to do.
0: Yeah, well, JT brought this double feature of Radio Gods. Uh, we'll call it Radio Days, like Woody Allen's movie, <laughs> but we're not yeah. talking about Radio Days. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your selection here, JT? Um,
2: I thought, like, I came up with this pairing because I thought for, like, our 10th episode, I think it would be good to look back at our history and our forefathers, <laughs> like where would we be without uh, our two biggest uh, podcasting inspirations, Howard Stern and Prairie Home Companion,
0: Garrison Keillor Garrison specifically. Keillor. Yeah, no, we uh, right off the bat. Okay, look, we programmed it. Uh, I think we all remembered that Garrison Keillor was Me Too'd at some had, point. Between, I didn't know did that. Did you not even remember? I mean, I don't.
1: That? I don't even really know who this guy is. We do honest.
0: not endorse Garrison Keeler. He's a bum. <laughs> Whatever. Continue. We should get that out of the way uh, first. Yeah. No. Right? Yeah. yeah no. He's a Piece of shit no, guy yeah. who did like sex crimes. So Damn. fuck him. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That was one of the like. It, it, it was a w- weird watching the movie knowing that because he's like his whole shtick is like being like a folksy, yeah. like mm-hmm. kind of like nice guy. I mean, there are like some sexual bits in it, but mm-hmm. um, no sex predator bits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I mean I think our show is more uh prairie home companion in terms of production value and like structure, but uh <laughs> I think we, we incorporate some Howie in here too. I,
1: I feel like we're a mix well, you know, after after you broke the news to me, maybe I don't want to say this, but I feel like we're kind of a, a perfect mix of like Howard Stern and Garrison Keeley. <laughs> <laughs> our podcast. But then again I don't actually after hearing the news I don't know if I would say that. No. <laughs> I wasn't aware. <laughs> so let's oh, get God right damn.
0: into it. Prairie Home Companion, the final film of the God, Robert Altman, made in 2006. Such a final film that there was even a replacement director on set, uh, notable director, Paul Thomas Anderson, who, you know, Altman mentored and Anderson would dedicate his films to. And it's a, it's a great relationship. I'm uh, glad they had it. Yeah, you know, there's some cool onset picks. JT has a cool coffee table book right now. Yeah, about Robert Altman, and there's some cool onset picks that we're all looking at.
2: Great yeah. for radio. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're sitting next to each other. Um, <laughs> Robert Altman looks very serious. Uh, PTA is a little bit more relaxed.
0: He's a chill dude. He's a chill Valley dude. Yeah, you know? That's right. Very much like myself. Looks like he's wearing athleisure. I might be wrong though.
2: No, it's it's definitely athleisure. Hell yeah.
0: So this is a movie about the final night of the live radio broadcast. A Prairie Home Companion, you know, I guess starring and directed the show within the movie, uh, ran by Garrison Keillor. He's the MC. he's the host, he sings a little bit, tells a couple jokes, introduces people. He's the man pulling the strings of all the puppets. But we also see other people pulling the strings. And it's a great film about, you know, the collaborative nature of a stage show. Uh, it's a classic backstage musical really there's maybe five or six musical numbers uh in it i don't know we see quite a few we see quite a few songs in this brisk 105 minute runtime
2: yeah there's not like i mean obviously the current running through the film is that like it's the final show and that like uh they're like I mean, there's no real effort to try and stop that from happening. It's just sort of like accepting it. And then there's also the other story where, uh, the woman in white, the, Mm -hmm. the angel. Mm -hmm. uh,
0: Whoa. Spoilers. (laughs) Oh, is
2: that what that means? (laughs) Uh, pays a visit.
0: It's a good mix of realism and this kind of, you know, fantasy, uh, allegory type thing about this show dying and, the people with it dying and the people making the movie dying and it's a really uh elegiac film if i'm using that word correctly uh it feels like everyone's about to die and it's really sad and aware of that and it has already come to terms with it going in and just wants to go out swinging with a lot of good songs and a lot of good conversations it's a classic altman hangout movie in that sense a lot of overlapping dialogue while the camera's just floating around a room Uh, Some of the great pairings we get in this backstage banter segment, you know, you got Lindsay Lohan, Meryl Streep, and Lily Tomlin in one room for, you know, most of this movie just chatting around. It's pretty fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's a a lot of the movies, um, there's just a lot of backstage stories and the personal connections between the people who made this show. And, you know, during these performances on stage, you know, you kind of get to just linger around this space itself and you know kind of experience that
2: yeah i like um to speak to the parts that more so indulge in like fantasy i like the the guy noir character mm-hmm. who's like the detective uh yeah. and like sort of like the muscle for the show mm-hmm. which if I- think
0: about it it's a detective investigating a dying show mm-hmm. you know he's like that's kind of the grit. He's what the film opens on is him at this really beautiful neon diner car. And he's talking about the show that's going to go away and how he's there, you know, working on the show as this, you know, film noir private eye dude. And it seems like the film itself is like him investigating how these people are reacting to death. And like just it's so curious, the film mm-hmm. and that character as our entryway into this film
2: yeah and it's like he's i looked this up because i was curious how like i mean i'm sure our prairie home companion heads listening (laughs) are gonna really dm in after this one just they are screaming (laughs) at their fucking
0: device right now Uh,
2: about how much we fuck up about the radio show but guy noir was like a like a fictional character that garrison i think would like Read stories okay. of or something mm-hmm. that they incorporated in. Uh, but, like, I don't know. I really like that he's, I mean, how you said the entryway, but, like, in such a fun, like, lighthearted, bumbling way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the whole film, like, is examining that death with, like, a relatively lighthearted, like, it acknowledges the seriousness of it, but it's just so, like, gentle and humble in the way mm-hmm. it is approaching it.
1: Yeah, and the Guy Noir character is interesting because I think he even says himself like he's an outsider. He's not a, a Midwesterner. And I feel like a lot of what his character does, you could kind of see the midwesternness of you know everything and all the characters and him kind of reacted to that a little bit
0: yeah the midwestern accents especially in that room with tomlin and streep they really lean into it like fargo <laughs> style she was having a cup of coffee she, in the cafe she yeah, ordered a glazed chef, donut she, was, she started eating and she got a sugar she got rush, a rush anyway. she was diagnosed hypoglycemic and so she forgets she didn't pay for the donut and she walks out the door but wasn't 2 minutes
2: for chef. the red lights are flashing and, and she's in handcuffs in there.
0: Cutting between these different groups of people backstage. Another group is the duo of Woody Harrelson and John C. Riley, who are cowboy singers. And they're so, it's just a delight. Come on. Mm -hmm. It's just two of the best actors of that era. Well, not, I don't know. I wouldn't (laughs) take it that far, but two of my faves, at least. You got to love John C. Riley. Come on. Lovable. Yeah. He definitely was giving off, you know, with PTA just being on set. You kind of get those John C. Riley in the Paul Thomas Anderson movies feeling from his performance in this movie.
2: Yeah. And you get, like, I think something we're going to hit far more in the Stern segment, uh, but they introduce, like, some great radio riffing into oh, yeah. the mix because they do, like, a whole—I think in their, like, final performance because— um, some like censor guy like approaches them beforehand and tells them to like clean up their act.
0: Yeah, not to do dirty songs. Yeah, yeah. but then
2: they do a w- song with a bunch of dirty jokes. Uh, yeah, the oh, the wife died. Sex is still the same, but the dishes are piling up. <laughs> uh, Dusty? Hey, Dusty. Yeah, Lefty.
0: Did you know that diarrhea was hereditary? No, I did. not
1: Yeah, it runs in your genes.
0: But among this cast, uh, you know, it's a big ensemble. We also have Maya Rudolph, and she is kind of the, I don't know, stage director almost. Mm. She's the one who seems to be doing the most coordination backstage. Uh, She goes to great lengths to accomplish her jobs because Garrison Keillor, as we see, is a totally bumbling bozo in this movie he can't get on stage on time he's always fucking singing backstage like there's a fucking show going on you idiot uh and she's constantly whipping him into shape and to get him out on stage once she even faked going into labor uh which kind of reveals how she's you know i guess midway through pregnancy it seems like i don't know Mm -hmm. Uh, then that's hit on a little bit you know you see how all her different co-workers react she's one of the characters who you see interact with every little grouping that we see in this movie which is really nice because she brings a lot of humor to it she's great
2: oh one moment i definitely wanted to bring up that i feel like is like one of the more serious and like probably my favorite moment in the film is when someone actually dies while they're like recording the show oh yeah it's the uh,
0: fuck. it's the midpoint of the movie too it's, yeah. you've been getting a hold of this you see how this show is going so far it's al- already a little bit out of control and you're just you finally met all of these characters kinda and you're about halfway through the movie and then one of them dies Yeah, and ch- that's kinda it sets the tone for the rest of the movie feeling like a decline and everyone else moving towards death
2: yeah Chuck is his name and then mm-hmm. he's like um, he's a part of like a singing duo with his wife and, and he's it's after still you see them perform
0: pretty horned up. Too. Yeah. He's like trying to fuck his wife backstage the whole time. And he's, they're probably in their eighties. They bill
1: him as an attraction to mature ladies and specific.
0: <laughs> so. Hey man, he did his job as far no, as yeah. I'm concerned, <laughs> but yeah, yeah all these people are so dedicated to their jobs. It's a classic altman, milieu movie where you just get a sense of these people in their usual environment and how dedicated they are to it. You know, it goes back to the earliest part of his career, even before he was, you know, an auteur doing stuff like the delinquents in the fifties, that feels like such a lived in environment. And then you get to the real ones like Nashville and mash and California split. And you just see how dedicated he is to portraying this milieu accurately even if it's something he's not particularly interested in, uh, for example, I know that he says in this coffee table book that we were looking at, there's a quote about him not being like particularly a fan of Prairie Home
2: Companion. JT, do you have that? Yeah, I'll read this quote. It's Garrison Keillor is being interviewed talking about like why he was like excited uh, to have Altman like come on board. He said, "I knew that his wife Catherine liked a Prairie Home Companion." and that was a big reason he was interested in the show altman said he usually watched basketball on tv in the next room and if he heard her laughing he'd walk in to see what was so funny he never said he liked the show only that Catherine did and i like that there was no flattery from this guy fucking mad respect
0: yeah
1: exactly i you know watching the movie i was you know touched by all the you know midwestern characters and whatnot and the whimsy of it all but uh you know, if the the actual show itself, I probably would not listen to. <laughs> I, I would probably, not be into it. Yeah. yeah. I want to see what, what's, turn on the game instead. That's my opinion. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm with Allman here. I love basketball. Uh, I think basketball on TV now is even better. It's a great, some of the best stuff you can watch on TV is the hoops, you know?
1: So, so all right, let's get into it uh lakers corner you excited for the, the lakers this season
0: i mean i was did you hear the news boogie Cousins oh. tore his acl
1: yeah well you know warriors didn't really use boogie cousins for most of the season you know so uh, yeah
0: i was i was pretty excited for him though true. bringing that that layer of depth that they yeah. needed but i think they're more equipped to run like a smaller lineup anyway like mm. without him you know running lebron at the four ad at the five they have yeah. enough like guards and stuff and but I'm excited for basketball. We're all yeah. excited <laughs> over here. <laughs> I've been playing 2K, you know, simulating
2: 20 seasons deep. It's pretty mm-hmm. fun. One, like to actually like to link the film, I guess, to radio um, in like a legitimate way. There's one moment that I feel like Garrison Keillor like legitimately like captures it because they a, a lot of the after like the midpoint where Chuck dies, like a lot of the discussion is like, why don't they say something mm-hmm. about it or like acknowledge it? Or like, why don't they say goodbye in like the last show? And uh, he says to that you don't look back in radio and there's no sense of a past in radio. And I feel like, I don't know, that is something like unique to the medium and yeah. like shows run for so long, it would be hard to like, I mean, there is like a history to it, but like it would be hard to catalog, catalog that And it's something that's, I feel like, very present and in the moment.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, look, we all have our favorite podcasts. We can't imagine what's going to happen when they end. But (laughs) they're probably just going to pull the plug someday. And we just have to be ready for it, you know?
1: I'm kind of, you know, I bet people listening might be thinking about about (laughs) us. Well, look, that's what I was getting
2: (laughs) to. Yeah.
0: (laughs) This film just really put things into perspective for me. And I was thinking tens a nice round number. <laughs> yeah, we've become
2: and such good friends. I just like, true. I don't want to let the
0: podcast break that apart. Yeah, exactly. I know why we know, we're going to drive because podcast. they're crazy.
1: Yeah. yeah, you know, you know exactly.
0: <laughs> Speaking of the cowboy duo, Rusty and Lefty, John C. Riley and Woody Harrelson, uh, they. Did the dirty song, and there was a really great scene earlier where the guy who was in charge of, you know, covering the censorship, I guess, was running through all of the, like, borderline dirty songs that they were playing to see which one was, like, the actual offensive one, and honestly, that just, like, hit on that, like, perfect... Level of list humor, just like listing <laughs> off names of dirty novelty songs, such as "I'll give you my moonshine if you show me your jugs." <laughs> which, definitely my favorite on <laughs> I'd love to hear what that song's like. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's right around the time that we discover the death, and then people are talking about the death of the show more. And then also you get more into Meryl Streep's relationship with Garrison Keillor's Mm -hmm. character. Now, I don't know about the real life implications of this and who Garrison Keillor was, you know, with or wasn't with at the time. But it comes to light that they were previously lovers Mm -hmm. uh, before Meryl Streep had her daughter, Lindsay Lohan, and she... You know kind of wants to close things out with him kind of there's a lot of stuff hanging over her that I think it being the final show and hearing about this other death really just sparked it in her that she needed to get the stuff off her chest so for the last 45 minutes or so Meryl Streep's kind of you know going at Keeler pretty viciously. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interrupting stuff and just like saying stuff into Mike and just kind of torturing him on stage Mm -hmm. at one point, which was it's pretty great, honestly. Meryl's really good in this movie.
1: Yeah, the duct tape segment where uh, Keeler's reading an ad for duct tape. A lot of the ad reads are pretty general. Yeah, noticed. Yeah, (laughs) kind of funny. Yeah, like. (laughs) Is that a Midwest thing? I'm just I'm a. I feel like it's a bit going bit, over yeah, our head. Yeah, like, It's like Repo Man, yeah. like
0: the labels on all the products there, like sure. how they advertise coffee there. You <laughs> know, yeah.
1: Yeah. See, I'm a coastal elite, so I don't really have that Midwestern <laughs> perspective. So I'm a. i might i might be talking out of left field here, but yeah, Meryl Streep, uh, kind of interrupts Keeler's, uh, ad for duct tape, you know, saying you know duct tape can't fix everything, and you know that thing might have just been their relationship. It's pretty I, fucked up. I, <laughs>
2: I want to say, I mean, Garrison Keeler looks disgusting, too. <laughs> <laughs> like, I. I uh, he has. His fucking head looks like someone, like, aged a baby. It's like. <laughs> so, it has the smooth and spherical quality of a baby's head. And it's just. God. I was like. I fixated on that. <laughs> he's a. He's a face for radio. <laughs> uh, Garrison also, like, he kills. Uh, kills abroad in that. The woman uh in the white like overcoat uh says that she died listening to the show laughing and that like after she died she was like the joke wasn't even like funny
0: and that brings something really important to the table if any of our listeners are currently driving or riding their bike (laughs) out in public or doing anything really that's labor intensive not sitting down if you happen to crack up you know, because we're just throwing down that funny-ass shit or just, like, blowing your mind with fucking genius film criticism, please do not hurt yourself. But if you do, we are not liable in any way. I just have to get (laughs) that on record.
1: Buckle up, eyes on the road, no exceptions.
0: And also, like, we're not gonna have any guilt about it either. Like no. fucking Garrison Keeler.
1: No, yeah. I I was kind of like this I was thinking like, is that something like Keeler thought? He's like, I bet someone has died listening <laughs> to my shit. <laughs> yeah. That was a
0: little <laughs> weird, but yeah. I don't know. Altman fucking got no, the it the works. performances right at the right pitch because Garrison Keeler is like kind of quietly dumbfounded the whole time mm-hmm. that this kind of supernatural thing is what's giving him this great sense of grief. And he, he plays it kind of muted in a general way. Yeah. But because of the context, you understand how much that kind of muted response means. And yeah, it's it's a really fantastic scene.
1: Mm-hmm. And Keeler gives a, you know, a pretty good performance. Is is he an actor at all? Does he do a little... I mean, he's acting in the yeah. show the whole time. True. I guess, you know, I mean, like m- movie acting. Yeah. I, I <laughs> <don't> know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so the night comes to an end, you know, uh, the drama heats up. It cools off. Lindsay Lohan gets to sing us up. We should talk about Lindsay Lohan's character. Uh, She's like an emo teen who writes poetry about suicide. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Meryl Streep kind of is trying to cheer her up and is just giving her these typical kind of mom platitudes about, you know, got to be grateful for everything because uh, you wouldn't be here without it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you could see the sense of her frustration. But then in a very cathartic uh, take, on Frankie and Johnny. She gets out her feelings for the last song before uh, they all get together and sing Red River Valley before the little, uh, I guess the, it's something of like an epilogue at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. right? Because they kind of yeah. end the show and then it cuts back to Guy Noir, like outside, like when they're tearing down the sets, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of like that little epilogue. It also makes no, yeah. it have more of this, and I really hope I'm not getting this word wrong, This that elegiac tone.
2: Uh, does it end in the diner? Too? does it like i know they have a scene in the diner mm-hmm. um at the end where they're all hanging out and, yeah uh, is Lindsay that...
0: lohan comes back in she's yeah. got a job and a flip phone <laughs> she's an entrepreneur now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's a manager <laughs> yeah. well and then it goes back the end credits is over like kind of an encore song yeah but i think it ends at the diner and it pulls back out it does like the opening shot again of the yeah. wide shot of the diner but this time lower it's like at street level because mm-hmm. the opening shots you could see the street lights as well uh we should say the opening shot is like really incredible of that mm-hmm. diner and then you see guy noir come out of it and you you know the camera pushes it first it zoomed in and then it was also slowly pushing in and then it's like pushing back while he's walking out it's really great camera work from altman you know As usual. Oh yeah, Yeah. it's
2: it's an. I mean, it goes without saying. It's like a beautiful film. There are so many moments, like particularly um, when it's like Streep and Lily Tomlin, like talking, and like a lot of it is in like the mirrors, Mm -hmm. um, and like there's so many different like sizes of reflections. It's uh, beautiful.
0: Yeah, Altman's play of like camera movement in this is incredible, as always. Yeah. It, it harkens back to his 70s work really more than anything, where the camera is just nonstop in motion. I think there's maybe three or four still frames, or not frames, but still shots in this film. Uh, everything else, there's either a pan, a like cam move to the left or right, or forward or back, or like a dolly, or a zoom. The zoom-ins are, you know... Altman is kind of the god of the zoom in uh, for me other than maybe Hong Sang-soo and there are some really killer slow zooms in this and the way he makes his way around these kind of cramped backstage spaces and like you said plays with mirrors and backstage lights and you know all this equipment and stuff laying around is really incredible. Altman's style is just like as good as ever here. And that pretty much wraps up uh, Prairie Home Companion, right? We all liked yeah. it a good amount, right? Yeah, I liked it. I, I
2: loved it. Yeah. I put
0: it like high in the Altman canon. Honestly, it yeah. made me like quite emotional toward the end. To be honest,
2: yeah, I agree. I loved mm-hmm. it. It like uh, I kind of had a feeling that this one was really gonna rock it with me, but uh, mm-hmm. damn,
0: <laughs> it really sneaks up on you the way yeah. that those really like lived in Altman movies that aren't as plot heavy do you know mm-hmm. uh, like some of the stage plays like just have a different feel to them uh, even if the camera work is reminiscent of his other stuff but this feels like those peak 70s films where you're really just getting acclimated to the world for the first I don't know 45 minutes or so but then this one is only an hour 45 so it really just kicks it into high gear when it wants to and it's really fantastic
1: mm-hmm. yeah I was you know first five minutes in because like Altman's like a lot of milieu and I was like I'm feeling out the milieu I was like I don't even know if I'm necessarily in the mood to like for this milieu but the way Altman just executes it you know just wins me over so yeah great guy.
0: And as his final film, honestly, I was saving it for like a long time. I've seen I think twenty five or twenty six Altman yeah. films at this point, and I wanted this to be the last one until I catch up with everything. But then JT suggested this double feature, and I <laughs> could not say no because it was yeah. a great idea. Mm-hmm.
1: I've only seen like five Altman, so I need to I need to oh, catch shit, up. He's dude. definitely good. Yeah, dude, I'm a fucking rookie, dude. <laughs> I fucking suck.
0: And before we go away, you know what? While we're talking about Altman, I'm just gonna do a quick a quick rapid fire rankings. All right. You guys down with this? I'm down. All right. I've seen 20, it looks like, on Letterboxd. So I'm going to go McCabe and Mrs. Miller, The Long Goodbye, Shortcuts, Nashville, California Split. That's like top tier. After that, come back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, The Player, this one,
1: and Three Women i've seen three robert altman movies before this one (laughs) Um, i like the long goodbye i like goshford park i like california split i think the next one i'm gonna watch is oc and stiggs oh Oh, it's interesting i need to see that one because it's it's about teens
2: yeah um i think i've seen nine and just my top three i guess long goodbye number one uh shortcuts then brewster mcleod I think what I'm going to check out next is uh, Dr. T and the Women. Hell yeah. I was on DVD. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, we will be right back talking about Howie, our man, Baba Booey. Uh, We'll be back to talk about private parts in just a minute. Thanks.
1: Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, there lived a dreamer whose only wish was to spread joy among his fellow men. But there was one problem. Oh, baby, give it to me. He was different. Oh,
2: oh. You don't like that, up. Huh? Oh, yes, I love it, baby.
0: All right, we are back after a brief recess. I went pee-pee. What did you guys do? We talked about Epstein.
2: Yeah. You can't hide from the truth. Yeah.
0: You know, any
1: any intellectual out there is interested in this stuff, so I know the people listening to the podcast probably feel the
0: same way. Nice. Before we get into private parts, uh, did you guys see anything
2: noteworthy this week since we last spoke? Yeah, I haven't watched as much recently, but yesterday I uh, went uh, to the new Bev uh, for... The Wednesday matinee, which is Doris Day this month, and I saw Lover come back. It was a real great time. I wasn't like, I was anticipating like a fun, cute little like romantic comedy, but I didn't know, like, just, I don't know, just how funny it was. And I think that's the part that really won me over the most is there's like, uh, really, I mean, the the essential premise is that like Doris Day and Rock Hudson are like at competing like advertising agencies mm-hmm. and Rock Hudson accidentally like comes up with a product that doesn't exist and then Dorstay is trying to like figure out what it is and like investigate that but then at the end they like finally design like a product for what it is and it's just like a little mint that gets you drunk as shit and I, <laughs> and then uh the end of the film i the one of the main plot points at the end is that everyone just gets fucking wasted <laughs> and i nice. i was re- really there for that
0: was this like a late 50s early 60s like
2: um it was Early '60s, uh-huh. I yeah, the sex, '61.
0: The sexless sex comedy, one of those.
2: I mean, they talk uh like there's like implied fucking, yeah. Yeah. and they like get a little body with it. Oh, yeah.
0: nice. Okay, cool.
1: Nothing Howard Stern level
0: though. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, we'll, we'll get to <laughs> it. We'll get to it. What about you, Malcolm? Um,
1: you know, I watched I watched a good amount, but the one I want to talk about is Slumber Party Massacre Two. Ooh. I Yeah, I had a real good time with this one. I kind of like it more than the original, which I enjoyed thoroughly. Um, The plot of this is Courtney, the sister of the Survivor from the first movie, is in like a a girl rock band uh, with her friends, and they're all going to go to this condo to practice. And, you know, who knows? They might invite a couple of boys, you know, one of those situations. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Courtney, she... uh, is developing a relationship with the boy and invites him over, but keeps having visions of her sister telling her not to have sex and just basically just fucking her up. And like her sister just writhing in a mental institution. And pretty much most of the movie is you spend with Courtney and like, there'll be a scene and then there will just be a, a dream sequence. There's easily like 10 to 12 dream sequences in this movie. It's pretty, it's pretty out there. And, you gotta love the killer. The killer is a big, like six seven rockabilly guy with a a guitar, a guitar with a drill at the end. Oh wow! <laughs> that can, you reprising
0: know, the drill from the first one. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. You know, and maybe a little driller killer riff.
0: You know. Yeah, of knows? course. Well, it's the yeah. it's the power tool wave of slashers. True. Yeah, yeah which is honestly they got to bring that back. Yeah, it was like what late seventies, early eighties, mm-hmm. and then it went away.
1: Yeah, I mean screwdriver. That's. That's a pretty, that's a dangerous instrument in the wrong (laughs) hands. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) But yeah, it's really good. It's uh, campy and it's like 75 minutes. I had a great time watching it.
0: Nice. I watched quite a bit. Well, you know, I watched quite a bit of television and film this week. I'm starting a rewatch of Twin Peaks The Return. Uh, I watched Firewalk with me last week. So I watched the first three episodes of The Return yesterday, you know, good as always uh ben horn saying (laughs) r-e-s-p-e-c-t come on you can't you can't get it any better than that uh i also watched a couple i did a little keanu reeves double feature uh the other day not even realizing what i was getting myself (laughs) into i threw on point break because i had always heard about that uh and you know i wanted to check out some bigelow some keanu ended up finding that just lovely it's just one of the best action movies i've seen this year or really of all time it's just fantastic all that great you know homoeroticism that you see in like john woo and like the best like melodramatic male action movies you see here Catherine bigelow is great at observing that kind of thing and you know it's just amazing uh r.i.p to a legend patrick swayze oh yeah
1: um honestly you know that john woo comment got me thinking and I feel like I've heard people say like kind of these John Wick movies kind of capture maybe like a John Woo moment. And it's like not really compared to Point Break, which, you know, understands that the melodrama is just as important as the action as John Woo does. Yeah,
0: for sure. I mean, Keanu like shooting his gun straight up (laughs) into the air when he has his eyes on Swayze because he just wants to fuck him too much to kill him. Like (laughs) it's just like you'll never. I mean, obviously, subtext. But it's kind of right there <laughs> on the surface. Yeah. Uh, you never see that. And like, what I've, granted, I have not seen John Wick 3. Uh, no. <laughs> I don't think you get to that level. I Pretty don't know. sexless
1: movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess, point break, there's no sex either. But, you know, subtext, of course. We well, listen. you know, there's oh, yeah. a shot of him
0: oh. naked post-coitus. Uh, True. Yeah. Uh, he does have sex. Um, Laurie Petty? Yeah. Laurie Petty. Yeah. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I also saw him in a uh supporting role later that night. I watched Nancy Myers Something's Gotta Give, which was just really delightful. Uh I can't fully say it's great. I don't know. I was like on the borderline of like fully, fully going you know, pro something's got to give, but I really liked it. You know, three and a half stars. Mm -hmm. Uh, Keanu is just effortlessly charming. And, you know, when it's him against Jack Nicholson going for the heart of Diane Keaton, it's just so obvious. But then that just goes to show how charismatic Jack Nicholson is in his, even Mm -hmm. in his uh, late period, (laughs) the Netflix, the first uh, phrase in the Netflix description for this film is, Sixty and still sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! I so, love Nancy Myers. Yeah, I mean, come on, you can't uh, mm-hmm. can't go wrong with You've Got Mail. But those are the only two I've seen. So looking forward to a little more Nancy. It's
1: it's complicated. The Intern, some great late period works.
0: I've heard The Intern is fantastic. Yeah. I know Quentin Tarantino. Oh, really? Uh, has that as one of his favorite films of the decade? I believe. For real? Yeah. Why
1: wow, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a big fan. He's a big fan. He's also a big fan of Howard Stern. (laughs) I didn't know that either. Yeah, no. Really? He said some of his most damning comments on the Howard Stern show over the years. Some of his really like worst hits outside (laughs) of like when he was on BET were on the Stern show. The American Idol interview. (laughs) (laughs) The performance in Girl 6. (laughs) Uh. So Howard Stern's private parts. A 1997 film by a female director, believe it or not, Betty Thomas. Now, we'll get into whether or not Howard Stern loves or hates women. I don't know. I mean, he he
2: loves the ladies for sure. But is it for the right reasons? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well,
0: I mean, okay, so Betty Thomas is the director. The auteur of the film, though, come on. It's Howard Stern. Mm -hmm. It's a super narcissistic project that he wrote and he wrote the book that it's based off of then he stars in it and produced it i believe and you know it's a total vanity project mm-hmm. but it boy if it isn't good i don't know Yeah, i, it's I good. really like yeah. this it's yeah. good
1: he's definitely flexing his muscles so to speak he's definitely it definitely there's a lot of self suck in the movie but oh, honestly for sure. honestly <laughs> he's a charming guy you know charming story you know
2: i can't i can't be too mad at him
0: yeah a lot of self suck like this movie got two ribs removed
2: yeah. for sure <laughs> <laughs> like the I wasn't expecting, like, because, I mean, we talked before the show, but uh, none of us are really, like, big stern heads. Mm -mm. And I was just so surprised by how, like, charming he could be. Like, I I bought into it. Like, I get it.
0: For sure. I mean, he's definitely showing us the best side of him. Like, you always have to feel that way about biopics where the subject is like that heavily involved yeah they're only showing you the good side but he's willing to be pretty vulnerable as well you know Mm -hmm. we see this throughout the movie
2: and I mean like sometimes he's like just clearly like an asshole oh he's totally in the wrong multiple Mm -hmm. times
0: Yeah, (laughs) for
1: sure you know I thought I had watching this is like if I were a youth back then definitely would be listening to Howard Stern like without a
0: doubt if it weren't for podcasts
1: true we'd probably still be listening to Howard Stern
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's true He paved the way for many of our idols. So this movie, it starts with him at an award ceremony uh, with a lot of, you know, musical artists and celebrities. And he's in costume as fart man. (laughs) And he does a fart joke and he suspends from the ceiling over the title. It's pretty funny, you know, whatever. It's like nobody's really that into it.
2: Yeah. You see his ass.
0: Yeah. He's willing to expose himself. (laughs) Hey, the titular private parts. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Buttocks. You never see his dick, though.
0: That's true. A lot of talk about that dick, though. He talk, yeah. He loves to talk about his uh, uniquely small dick. He yeah. should have gave us a look. Yeah. he should have shown <laughs> yeah. us the yeah. we Well, even so, so small, prove it. I yeah. mean, come on. Look, he's still working. Like He has one <laughs> thing to hold out on his fans. You know, they keep <laughs> tuning in year after year waiting to see it.
1: Howard Stern's uh, OnlyFans account?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is 1997. He has another 25 years ahead of him of work. You know, he can't blow the load that early. So right away, though, he gets into voiceover saying that all I want is my artistic courage to be an inspiration <laughs> for others and that everything I do is misunderstood. And that kind of sets the tone. Like, okay, you got to be on his side for this movie to work because otherwise you're just going to hate him for being yeah. a narcissist. True. Uh, and those like are very corny sentiments for an artist to have. But you're kind of on his side yeah. because the thing that he's standing up for is so dumb. It's just his dumb sense of humor and like wanting to joke around on the radio mm-hmm. and like uh i
1: feel like one of the earlier scenes where he's with the woman on the plane you know you you know i kind of ended up being the woman on the plane and not necessarily a fan of his work but won over by his his charm <laughs> and, you know no know, knowing that just he's a good guy deep yeah, down inside
0: we should say and this does take us to the end of the film so we'll come back but like <laughs> sorry it's, about uh, that. Yeah. it has a framing device of howard getting on an airplane and like a nice you know young woman not wanting to sit next to him because he's some you know celebrity sex monster or whatever like because uh, <laughs> he has his dirty radio show <laughs> well i mean <laughs> she but then like he tells her his life story i guess over the <laughs> flight and you kind of forget about her until the end and when it cuts back to her towards the end you're just like oh shit i, yeah. I guess the movie is over a and b i forgot there was a framing device but okay <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, it starts off the framing device with her because he notices her in the airport oh. and then you get you see the perspective from his mind mm-hmm. where she's one in her underwear. And then in some amazing CG, uh, her tits become <laughs> enormous. Yeah. Yeah. Movie magic. <laughs>
0: yeah. You could, you know, it just leaves you wishing they went for the practical effects. <laughs> but the CG will work, you know. So, it goes through the early days of his career, and it's a lot heavier on the voiceover early on. Mm -hmm. He talks to camera a couple times. Not very often. It's mainly voiceover, but he's taking us through his life. And he, you know, wanted to be a DJ since he grew up. His dad was a, you know, radio uh, engineer, and he does college radio for a little bit, gets a job in, like, uh, is it Hartford?
2: Or where's the first place he gets the job? Can't I say forget oh, fuck yeah, yeah. I yeah. They, I should have written down these cities but, but he's at this tiny yeah. uh mm-hmm. he's
0: at this tiny station first and it kind of divides the film into what station he's working at and every time in the city there'll be a little segment where one of his friends who might be like part of the stern universe one of these callers that's like a character on a show or whatever I don't know who he is mm-hmm. he is holding a sign that says what the city is and they either have like a topless lady or like a weird guy or a donkey <laughs> and those are kind of like the chapter headings for the film Howard comes to Hartford to become the wacky morning man at WCCC some muscles.
2: yeah with that I mean I want to get into like early Stern stuff in like his early days it shows like A lot of what he was doing was, I guess, finding an identity. Yeah. Like it was like him just trying like not being himself, but then he's like, Oh, I can just be a dirty guy on the radio. Yeah. And And
0: he still loves his, you know, at that point, girlfriend, becomes wife. And we see very quickly Howard Stern is like ultimate wife guy material. Just Mm -hmm. everything he does revolves around his wife, whether it's, you know, being promiscuous in spite despite her or just like the only thing he cares about at that moment being his wife. And also coming very close to cheating on her mm-hmm. very early on in this movie, an incident that kind of shapes their relationship for the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm.
1: And can you know, can I just say, you know, being a wife guy used to just be called being a husband?
2: <laughs> 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 um, but I mean, along with I think early on they establish it's kind of like anti management in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's mm-hmm. weird because yeah. like Stern is like obviously rich as shit now yeah. and it's like He's in there, charge. There's a weird bit of like the, the demagoguery of it all yeah um but I think like he kind of like you can get like buy in like with some distance at, like of him as like a man of the people just yeah. wanting to tell like dirty jokes yeah for sure
0: mm-hmm. I mean right away the first station he works at the manager or the owner you know says he sucks at radio but he works hard so he could be the programmer and he makes way more money and he's able to get married off of that but then right when he has to fire someone he's just nope I want to be a DJ only So he goes to Detroit, works there for a while. They become a country station. He dips. But it's in Detroit where he meets Robin, his Mm co-host. And uh, she is still on the show today. And, yeah, they have a lot of fun. They, uh, you know, break the format and they talk to each other, even though she's just the newscaster. Sunny skies and warm temperatures for veterans marching in parades across the metropolitan area. Highs
1: today in the 70s. It's 58
2: degrees. You know, Robin. Uh, Let me interrupt for a second. I'm glad you brought up Memorial Day. You know, I was in Vietnam. I'd like to talk to you about it. I had 11 kills in Vietnam. And I'm telling you, I really should have had more. Officially, I should have had more kills. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. I was in a goop village, and I come upon a schoolhouse. So I grab one of my grenades off my belt, and I throw it right into the schoolhouse. And I blow up the whole damn thing. So I'm out there counting all the bodies. You threw a grenade into a school? That's exactly what I'm telling you.
1: I kind of admire how, you know, he does kind of make his struggle with the censors. I feel like that's kind of like his biggest yeah. thing. But he like uh he's very honest about, or not even honest, just he doesn't really make too big of a struggle of like how he came up. It's all like he just asks his parents, like, I want to be in radio. Can I go to college? And they're like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah. So that's, that's kind of admirable. You know, a lot of biopics can like falsify things to make the character look... Yeah,
0: it came off as just a really low stakes and breezy Mm -hmm. thing, as I said on Twitter or something along those lines. Like, it's not really putting the the conflict is all internal. It's just his Mm -hmm. wife stuff. And other than that, it's just how much can I get away with on the radio? as I grow bigger and bigger, like there's no one fighting his growth. He's mm-hmm. just going to continue to grow throughout this movie. And the movie was made probably even before his peak. I would say the early two thousands or maybe right when he went to serious, like right away, that might've been his peak because he was, you know, unleashed explicit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the movie is just like, everything's on the up and up for him in this movie, which is, you know, looked at in historical perspective. It's like kind of tainted because him and his wife are divorced and now he's definitely more of an authoritarian figure like he is management stern is like its own like he's on serious still but it's very much its own brand and company and he's very much a boss now even though this movie is about fighting against that but in a vacuum this is just a super chill hilarious uh, 100 minute biopic you know Mm -hmm. once he gets into experimenting with the radio that's when we get like the set pieces that really yeah. demonstrate oh. radio at its <laughs> finest. Uh, they really build greatly. Uh, you have the one where he is having phone sex with the woman. I, is that one in New York or is um, that one in Detroit? That
2: I think that one's in Detroit. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. like yeah.
0: That's like his last big stunt in Detroit before they went to country.
2: Yeah. And then he quit? No. I'm not sure. All right. exactly well, where we falls can, in the we can figure it out.
0: But whatever. Yeah. That's one of the stunts. Uh he like messes with a woman, like uh has her change the mixer so base her boost. trebles yeah, treble all the way down, <laughs> base all the way up. Base
1: boosts the pussy.
0: <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> this is our explicit episode. Yeah, this one's this gonna is, be uh, dirty. This yeah. is the one that iTunes finally revokes our clean badge that we have. Yeah. <laughs>
1: The, I like I like that scene because uh, when people are listening to it, it's almost like the shot heard around the world. People, I literally believe. wrote
0: in my notes, "the nut heard around the world." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a guy who like crashes his car, and like there's a bunch of cops laughing their ass <laughs> yeah. off. That's actually a weird recurring thing in this movie. Is that cops love Howard Stern? And Howard loves the cops. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but like that introduces like I think the best filmmaking in uh, the movie happens during those set pieces, oh, like for sure. oh, yeah. like how he like it has this sort of very like slow build like you know like he's gonna do something dirty with yeah. like the bit but then like the way it gets at him like just doing the mm, <laughs> just in <laughs> case any of you at home <laughs> want re- to yeah. put this near your pussy yeah uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ folks if you want to do that do it
1: now <laughs> alright JT go <laughs>
2: <laughs> but no, any anyways, I think the filmmaking really shines at those points because it's just like indulging in like what Howard does. Yeah, best, no, it's, perfect. Just dumb ass it's bits yeah.
0: yeah. Exactly. And everyone's cracking up, you know, except his wife, unfortunately. Who's yeah. is she in the car with Edie Falco? Is yeah. She in the backseat. I was Falco shocked by seat. that. Uh she doesn't have any lines, but Edie Falco is <laughs> in this movie. Uh in the backseat while uh she's one of as Howard refers to, uh, allison's girlfriends yeah. Uh, who chattering they're, yeah they're driving around the uh, he also called them yentas uh, which is i mean come on one of my favorite yiddish slang words for sure uh, i use it pretty regularly but they're driving around listening and she's getting really uncomfortable because howard's having phone sex with this woman <laughs> using the power of radio uh but the set pieces get real when he goes to new york so he like gets these huge ratings in detroit nothing like they've ever seen before So, NBC, WNBC in New York gets him. And uh, they put him, you know, drive time. It's like the job of a lifetime, but they're a lot stricter over there. And that's where we meet his new boss, Paul Giamatti. (laughs) If there's ever a character that Paul Giamatti should play, it's this guy, Pig Vomit. (laughs) So, Pig Vomit, you know, he's got a real deep uh, foghorn, leghorn-like accent, southern. (laughs) And he is just right away trying to break Howard Stern like he's a dog. He makes multiple allusions to like house breaking him yeah. and like making him pee outside. I guess.
1: And there's a lot of scenes of him listening to Howard Stern on the radio and just freaking out, like he can't
0: do that. Like, yeah. You know, was- While he's peeing at one point, True, yeah. one of these big set pieces, uh, when he calls Pig Vomit's wife, wow. he uh, Pig Vomit is in the bathroom going pee, and Howard is telling his wife, you know. That he should give him more sex because <laughs> he'll probably be less strict on Howard. <laughs> and she agreed. <laughs> yeah, she she seemed pretty down with it. Yeah. You have violated my wife. I did not. You soiled the sanctity of my home. Stern thing. I didn't do anything.
2: One of the bits. Uh, that he's doing I mean that leads Robin to getting uh, fired is yeah. that I really liked again like how this one was shot was the match game riff um, yeah. where they're just like just saying literally just saying cock and pussy yeah. and like things like that. Um, with like something of like a, a clever spin of just like trying to dance around it. It's like the it.
0: worst double entendre or like wordplay ever, like but it, to get away technically get away with saying cock and pussy, yeah. but in the perfect way, in the way that they're <laughs> just rubbing it in their face. Yeah.
2: But I think it's so great the way they would have the kinetic energy of a bit, like just going mm-hmm. back and forth yeah. to it, and they like like it's so spontaneous and in the moment there. Um, but then that ultimately leads uh, pig vomit to like sort of rush in after that. And Robin like, cause that's after a point where pig vomit like establishes that, Howard needs to send in scripts beforehand Mm. and Robin says that she didn't or like forgot.
0: Yeah, but they like jokingly blame uh, Robin and then Pig Vomit just takes that as an opportunity to fire her and that creates, you know, the other conflict, the conflict with Howard and his other woman in his life. (laughs) Uh, Him and Robin have like 20 minutes apart and it's very clear that he's just going to try and get her back and obviously the film takes his side, you know, Robin's really pissed off at him and he's just like, no, I'll get it back for you and she's pissed off and then he gets the job back for her and mm-hmm. then uh, but he does it in a pretty funny way they get this really dry british newscaster <laughs> to be the new robin and howard just keeps interrupting him and like asking him if he was a fan of the beatles and like yeah. all this stuff about acting and stuff like that uh, while he had the woman swallow a 13-inch kobasa and that's and that's what set him over the edge right yeah, yeah i believe was that the 13-inch was 13-inch yeah, yeah. yeah. she
1: could not suck dick in
0: front of me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think he says it's like the most like offensive thing he's ever seen or something. Like My that. God! Yeah, thirteen inches. Much. That's too much. <laughs> that,
2: what do you want, man? It's Howard Stern. He's I, the
0: bad boy of radio.
2: I laughed so hard at that. Scene. Oh yeah, it was yeah. God. I just. I'm so glad so many of these moments were put to film. True. I'm
1: glad yeah. that it actually happened
0: as you were saying though like with the way the camera work and the editing works for those set pieces like this film I would say more so in the editing than anything else really understands how like bits kind of build in podcast form. like look I'm not a huge Stern fan but I've listened to like way too many podcasts and specifically comedy podcasts and this film really understands like the rhythms of that Mm -hmm. and how that builds and how you can kind of you know make it audience friendly cropping out like a best of version of it but the set pieces have enough room to breathe on each end uh that the middle meaty part of it the the climax is just really firing on all cylinders (laughs) one of the best ones of course after pig vomit has installed this like emergency line in the studio to break up any you know bit that might get them in trouble or something like that Howard's going on some crazy rant oh no he's not going on a rant he is literally like getting a massage from a naked woman yeah and, like, his wife is not having it at all uh, but he is not even concerned about that he is just like talking about being hard and like they have newspapers taped up on the studio windows and mm-hmm. this one also makes the people who are driving around listening to it go crazy <laughs> <laughs> like a cartoon uh, I love the cartoonish reactions yeah. to people yeah, being so horny great. on the radio like sure. people are just awed and like, yeah.
2: one one, uh, the like, there's a, a classic moment where like Giamatti is like pissed uh, about like Howard Stern succeeding, and it's just like they're going over the ratings, and yeah. like Stern fans like normally listen for an hour because they're like curious, like what he's gonna say next. It's like people who hate Stern like listen for two hours because they want to know what he's gonna say next.
0: <laughs> yeah and this is one of those what he's going to say next things. So he is getting a massage from a naked woman and he's talking about how he wants to have sex with her and he like makes a joke that his wife is dead now. (laughs) Like he's been single for 12 hours. She fucking died of cancer. (laughs) Uh, And so that's when the big fight happens, man. Giamatti cuts the program, cuts it to music or whatever and then Stern takes that emergency phone uh, that the engineer picked up, you know, that pig vomit had called into and walks it down to the office in his boxers, uh, supposedly still erect, but as we, as Stern has mentioned many times up to this point, he has a, you know, uh, notably small member, so you know you can't see it. But doesn't even really know, matter if it's erect still, or not. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he goes up to Pig Vomit's office and he's just like bombarding him on the phone, and like Robin gets him on the air back from the studio, so this confrontation is going out on the air that he like accident or he doesn't even technically beat him with the phone, but. Pig vomit essentially hits himself in the face with the phone, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then also the other guy that works there gets hurt. And it's a lot of fun. It's a good fight.
2: Yeah, I mean, what can what can I say? When you interrupt a man doing a bit, like yeah. you're, <laughs> I think a horny he should, bit at that. Yeah. He should not be responsible. For oh what
0: no, 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 he's not liable.
2: <laughs> not yeah, no. And,
1: and Stern's a consummate professional. Right when they're off air, you know, he doesn't continue to you know with the women. He. Goes to the fucking radio guy because he's angry. It's not. Yeah. It's, you know, there's an altruistic quality to Stern for sure.
2: Yeah. He's not really horny. He's, he's not just really. horny for the bit. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> he
0: just likes being horny. He's not actually. Horny. <laughs> yeah. It's all <laughs> ironic. Actually, <laughs> he's been Volcel his whole life. <laughs> so after that, that's like the last real conflict he has. Uh, he ends up get, you know, so he actually him and his wife had gotten pregnant or he'd gotten his wife pregnant. I don't know how you want to say that <laughs> specifically. Uh, but anyway, she unfortunately had a miscarriage. And the film treats it really tragically. That's mm-hmm. like kind of what won me over fully on the yeah. film is how sensitive it was to that. And how intimate Howard like portrayed it all. And it's kind of weird that it's an actor playing his wife and he's playing himself. Mm-hmm. Adds a weird layer to it, but an interesting one nonetheless. Mm. And those scenes are really heartfelt. So then they get pregnant again. And, or, sorry, she gets pregnant again. And he has this, like, big rally for being number one in New York. And he has this, like, Trumpian <laughs> rally, really. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's cultish, to say the least. And people have signs, and they're just going full bozo in the audience. Just absolutely. Stern's number one. We love yeah. you, Howie. Imus <laughs> blows, which is a great yeah, sign you see multiple times. Yeah,
1: fuck done, I Imus, dude. Yeah, who should,
0: who could, okay, if we're Stern, who's our, like, Imus blows? <sighs> Blank check blows? Yeah. Or,
1: I don't, yeah, it's punching I up. I don't, I don't keep up with the riffraff. <laughs> yeah, be honest. I don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't, yeah.
0: All I do is refresh Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> I just look at the charts all day, baby. Uh, and then he, you know, he goes on Letterman, and that's really fun. It's just like a little, you know, nice little, uh, look how cool the cool shit I'm doing yeah, is. And it up. works, it's fun, it's funny. And at the rally, uh, he has AC/DC perform, <laughs> and up to that point, I thought that the dad rock needle drops had been tasteful. There was good stuff, you know. <laughs> it's Jimi Hendrix, CCR, you know. It's dad yeah. rock radio stuff. It the Ramones, you know. It's good stuff, though. Uh, and then when AC/DC shows up, it's like, all right, come on. <laughs> like you could take take it easy a little he bit. entrance
1: is more you know mainstream you yeah. know phase.
0: Yeah, I guess so.
2: Oh, also, um, noticing throughout this film. Howard Stern is a tall king. He oh, is 6'5". Sure. True, yeah. Is uh, yeah. his height. And uh, he towers over some real tiny ass men. <laughs> for in this sure. Movie. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. Man, and-
1: let's watch out.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think the hair adds to the lankiness. For yeah. sure.
2: I think like that's he, it's a real tall guy energy yeah. that he and exudes.
0: By the way, speaking of all the... Is he hot? I can't. Is I- Howard Stern hot? Many people want to F him.
1: I mean, you know, I'm not, I can't, for my t- for my own preferences, no, he's not that hot.
2: I mean, he got work ap- done after this oh. film. Like, you, mm. you know, like, I was, um, like, just briefly going through Howard Stern's wiki, and he said, like, late 90s, like, after this film is when he got work. And so yeah. it was, I looked at photos and mm-hmm. compared, and you can notice his, like, chin and uh, nose yeah. are significantly smaller. I think he's a niche interest. That's what I'll give him.
0: All right, me too. I think it's a niche interest <laughs> yeah. uh, for those into slash, but more obviously Jewish. Yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> if, if you want to, hey, if you want to fuck Howard Stern right into the extended clip podcast, extended we'll try clip. to
2: set it up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> fuck Howard Stern. Fuck a fan competition.
2: Okay, another thing I feel like because you touched on the sincerity of like when he addresses the miscarriage, I feel like part of what. Allows like Howard to get away with bo- like blatantly being like an asshole, uh, for bits is that he drags so much of his own personal life in it. I mean, I don't think like necessarily saying that like because he he like takes himself down in some of the jokes it makes him like admirable. But I think it's like a lot. I, I like I admire being that intimate with your Mm -hmm. audience even if a lot of it is definitely very performative and like included in the film to like make him more likable but uh i think it's an interesting aspect to his character
1: yeah and you know that's probably part of the own radio show's mythology so you got to carry it over to the movie you know
0: yeah for sure so after the rat well the rally is actually where his wife goes into labor and they have a kid and, you know, it's a little, it's a couple more notes of success after that. And then it just kind of ends. I mean, the last yes. thing you get is Giamatti coming to his apartment to tell him that, like, his ratings are even better than ever. Yeah. And he wants to just, like, be civil and work with him. And uh, Stern slams the door on him, tells him to fuck off. Legend. Yeah. What and a then, fucking legend. And then it cuts to the airplane uh, from <laughs> the beginning. And you're like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. Yeah. And uh, the white, the lady on the airplane meets his wife and kids. True. And uh, he, you know, proposes a threesome just mm-hmm. to let you know he's not done joking around. Also looks style. at the camera
1: and says, I know I could fuck this woman, but, you know, I choose
0: not to. Oh, I'm a yeah. Great guy. Yeah. I think that, I, that last part is a little <laughs> gratuitous. That was like, I mean, I was like, all right.
2: The all last right. line I think that he says. He calls is, himself a genius. Is that. <laughs> I could talk her into some lesbo action. Oh, yeah. About oh, yeah. his wife. Yeah, yeah, about his wife. That's American okay. Site. I'm saying before
0: yeah. that, when he's first wrapping up, you know, getting back to the framing device, uh, he is, you know, talking to camera, as you said, Malcolm, about how he could have sex with her, but he doesn't because he's not going to cheat on his wife because he's the number one wife guy around, you know? Yeah, of <laughs> course. Uh, that is definitely, like, the only part that pushed it too far yeah. in terms of just, like, yeah, self-suck. Yeah, yeah
1: self-worship. Yeah, that's... Uh kind of a hard one but it's kind of funny
0: and then yeah, yeah right after that he calls himself a genius uh <laughs> and says that he could talk his wife into some sweet lesbo action <laughs> and then there's some like uh, post-credit scenes like Mia Farrow like giving an award to Howard Stern oh uh, is it an Oscar it, yeah it's an Oscar for
2: private parts I think
0: yeah they just like they don't say what movies anyone's it's a totally fake thing. yeah you know? <laughs> she just lists off like five actors and then Howard Stern and Howard Stern wins and he comes back down for the ceiling like in the beginning yeah yeah it was a good movie right mm-hmm.
1: yeah. i liked it yeah it inspired me like i said at the beginning of the show and made me want to record the best
0: podcast i could it inspired me too it made me want to make a movie about a podcast <laughs> <laughs> you know there's so many podcasts out there we i think we got to do it i think we gotta we got to make a podcast or a movie sorry yeah. about well what about us who would direct the movie about us? <laughs> the
2: extended clip podcast, the now. movie? Yeah. Um, I think it would
0: be like a mumblecore guy. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Like Swanberg, Swanberg, but like take away his budget that he has now.
1: Mark Duplass?
2: <laughs> no <fucking laughs> <man>. Duplass? <laughs> no. I, <laughs> I think we're gonna... We hope for Swanberg we get Duplass. Yeah. <laughs> oh
0: God, that would fucking suck. <laughs>
1: I want to be portrayed as Mark Duplass.
2: Uh, okay so that's that's casting
1: Cast, i don't know if i want you on duplass my duplass anymore. i'm a big duplass head for all the listeners out there so yeah. you mainly disagree with his politics though right um i mean he's a pretty smart guy so whatever he thinks i'm pretty sure i agree with it
0: <laughs> as i pull up the ben shapiro endorsement <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, right away, I just go to like Abel Ferrara, just because oh, I always yeah. want the depravity. Uh,
2: <laughs> How dirty it is in yeah, here. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I guess if I were to do another Stern movie, I think Abel Ferrara would be really good for that, mm-hmm. uh, just because of the, the temptations of cheating on your wife uh, and being an <laughs> artist he has portrayed before in films such as Dangerous Game. And uh, yeah, I think that would be pretty cool. I don't think there's any actors who could be Howard Stern, though. Mm-hmm. like no. a private parts reboot today
2: i think you reboot it but this time his dick is big oh, shit. <laughs> it's mark old, Wahlberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's mark Wahlberg uh as howard stern
1: he had it all but <laughs> <laughs>
2: except a big
1: dick
0: <laughs> what other what, what are the popular podcasts i guess those are all like true crime and all that bullshit what, yeah. what do
2: people listen to um pod uh, is it Pod Save America the one with uh, oh yeah oh yeah. that
0: could be a good movie that would be uh, like John Favreau that would John be literally <laughs> the other John Favreau John, John Favreau yeah. John Favreau I mean, would play John Favreau John Lovitz John Lovitz
2: would play John Lovett. it's yeah. a
1: different those are different guys yeah it's a different John Favreau one I literally of them thought was a speech writer
0: and one of them is a Disney a Marvel guy now well yeah I,
1: I I just thought they were the same person I thought oh, that guy no. was doing I when I was young I thought David Lynch and David Byrne were the same person when I was 11 I was like, they
0: both have wacky i was like
1: damn this guy's pretty fucking talented (laughs) It's like this guy's got it going on
0: so the pod save america movie is going to be the worst movie ever so john favreau is of (laughs) course going to direct it he's also going to star as john favreau uh john lovitz will play john lovitz even though with my newfound admiration for john lovitz i don't want to subject him to this but i think he still owes me some he needs
1: he needs the work man yeah uh
0: who else is on that show i i don't Uh, i've never listened so one of the other pundits is gonna oh there's a girl okay cool Um, uh, Reese she's, Witherspoon. Nine. No, no. <laughs> Reese is too good for that. Uh, we got to get like a classic like a, like a lib pundit a- actor. You know? Or just celebrity. Uh, like um, uh, Chrissy Teigen could be uh, uh, the Deborah girl Messing. from Pod, Demo- Pod Save America. I don't want to say Pod Damn. That's a different podcast. You, play. <laughs> you don't want to get into that. I don't want to get into <laughs> Dirtbag Left Beef. <laughs> yeah. I would do like a uh, I would watch like a, uh, a movie about I don't want to say anything I actually like. This is a bad bit now because I don't want to like slurp the podcasts I actually love.
2: All right. Well, I mean, there's the um, Zach Braff had that podcasting TV show. Is it like out now or like was I I, I think it dropped, got canceled. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Well, like, God
0: Friended Me was also a podcasting TV show.
2: <laughs> that's really true. yeah,
0: mm-hmm. oh, and there was the TV show of Marin, but I think a movie of Marin would be good. Um, a WTF movie would be really mm-hmm. good, and it's like a it's like a classic. You know, it's an art house movie that's like split into five segments. It's like five different interviews. You know, mm-hmm. one of
2: them would be the Obama interview. Oh, for sure,
0: Obama. Who would play Obama? Maybe Fred Ob- Armisen, <laughs> just like an SNL. It would be perfect.
2: <laughs> yep. perfect casting, Agreed. as we all known.
0: <laughs> Uh he would also have uh he would have William Friedkin back. Mm-hmm. Um Marin would also direct the film, I think. <laughs> and he would tell William Friedkin that he's been doing some directing lately. Hell yeah. I think he would have Patti Smith, maybe. I don't know. He would have like a big get that he hasn't had before. And one of his dead guy interviews, like Robin Williams.
1: Patrice. You know, oh, oh nah. he could
0: have both. He could have Patrice I and feel like Robin he would, Williams. I yeah. feel like he'd
1: value Robin Williams a little bit more. That, that Just, would
0: be the last part of the movie. It would mm-hmm. be Robin Williams crying and Mark <laughs> Maron crying. And then it like pans to the mirror. And you see Mark Maron also operating the camera crying. <laughs> oh, Let's that's show you the beautiful. power of radio and
2: the power of film. Yeah, exactly. Who plays Robin though? Oh. Who has that who has that electric energy that we all love and adore?
0: I don't know. Who is like the face of comedy right now? Like Pete Davidson? Pete Davidson. Yeah, Pete <laughs> plays Robin. I think that works. That's I like think. about yeah, they're like the same level of Machine talent. Gun Kelly plays. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> who would play Patrice O'Neill? Yeah. Also Pete Davidson maybe. Pete Davidson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um <laughs> Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Extended Clip. You can reach out to us on email. We love email. We've never gotten one, but we <laughs> love the function of email. Yeah. Extended Clip Podcast at gmail.com or at ExtendedClip69. And are you guys on Twitter yourself? You know what? As a matter of fact, I am on Twitter. Yeah. And my username,
1: this is Malcolm Baum speaking, uh, is <laughs> bitchface Palace.
2: Um. Yeah, I... Uh I'm also on Twitter uh, at tallboythinlegs.
0: Nice. And I'm at iPod underscore video. And I hope you guys liked having a guest last week. Yeah. That was fun, right? It was fun. Yeah. I did like it. Well, I was talking to the listeners. I had a great time. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was, it was cool. This so yeah. was not else an invitation something. to discourse. Okay. okay. Then, <laughs> then
1: we could just wrap up the episode. It's all fun.
0: <laughs> Bye. <laughs> We're going to, we're out of here, that's our show. Remember to keep your feet on the ground, your hopes up high, pray for rain, keep the humor dry and eat those powder milk biscuits. Thank you everybody.
1: Come and sit
0: by my side if you love me. Do not hasten to bid me adieu but remember